Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Um, we are carrying on our studies this morning in the book of Joshua. We're doing Joshua chapter 19 this morning. Um, we are in that price, uh, place where uh, the children of Israel have successfully subdued the land and Joshua and Eliezer are distributing the various territories to the different tribes. And uh, by the time we reach chapter uh, 19, um, there are six tribes uh, who have yet to have their territory. Um, and I find myself in a bit of a challenge because chapter 19 is a pretty dull chapter to read, to be quite honest with you. It's just a list of uh, cities and uh, boundaries and not much to get excited about. And when I listen to other teachers on this, they quite often jump over this passage or they briefly uh, summarise it instead of reading every single verse. And uh, I find myself tempted to do the same, not least because I don't want to talk to you with just a list of names. Um, but at the same time, I'm conscious that in Sunday school, I said that all scripture is God breathed and is useful. And so I'm contradicting myself if I jump over the verses as well. So the question is what to do. And uh, I think the first thing we should do is pray. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this uh, morning and uh, Lord, we believe that your word is a living word and that, Lord, you can speak to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord, that you would take these dry bones and give them life, that, Lord, you would cause these words to speak to us and mean something to us. Please bless my lips. Please bless our ears and encourage us in our faith and walk with you in Jesus name. Amen. So. Before we actually launch into Joshua 19 um, proper, I just want to go back to Joshua 18. And uh, I want to read verses 1 to 6 as a bit of a foundation so we know where we're coming from. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts, Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. And you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. And the question is asked, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your father has given you? See, these seven tribes lacked the faith and the zeal to possess the land that was before them and that had been promised to them. Previously, we've seen that Caleb fought to possess Hebron. Othniel fought to possess Debir. The daughters of Zelophehad fought to possess their part of Manasseh. But these seven tribes are reluctant to possess anything. And last time I described them as slackers. They were slack in pursuing and possessing the promises of God. And we must be careful not to be like these seven tribes. But then Joshua makes it very clear 
that there is an inheritance ripe for the taking. But number one, it needs to be surveyed. Number two, it needs to be divided. And number three, it needs to be possessed. Survey the land, divide the land and possess the land. And that word uh, possessed there, it means to occupy, to drive out previous tenants and possess in their place. Literally, it means to seize or to rob. And so there is very much uh, an act of force and effort required upon the part of these seven reigning tribes to take that land promised to them. But because it is promised, when they go to war against those occupants, God has promised them victory. And when we talk about surveying the land, what they're called to do is to see it. Then we talk about dividing the land, about seeking that inheritance, wanting it. And then, of course, possessing the land is about seizing the, that land, that inheritance. But these three things apply to us in, uh, in, in, in Jesus Christ. It applies, it applies to believers as well. You see, we have an inheritance in Christ. And that inheritance in Christ needs to be surveyed. It needs to be divided and it needs to be possessed, i.e. we need to see our inheritance, we need to seek our inheritance, and we need to seize our inheritance. And this possession of our inheritance in Christ requires effort on our behalf, just as it requires effort upon the behalf of Israel. The problem for Israel is there were giants and Canaanites that stopped them from coming into their inheritance. But for us as well, there are giants and Canaanites which will stop us coming from into our inheritance. And as we press on through chapter 19, we will see this a little bit more clearly. So the surveying of the land where the inheritance is seen. Where do we as believers carry out our survey of our inheritance in Christ? Where does the believer learn about their inheritance? Or simply put, it's seen in the word of God, the Bible. As we read scripture, we become alerted to what should be ours in Christ, what our inheritance should be. We read it and suddenly we realise, oh, I should have peace that passes understanding. Or, oh, I should have no unclean speech. Or we read it and we realise, oh, I should have a blessed hope. And as we read the word of God, as we survey the word of God, we see what our inheritance should be. What about dividing the uh, land? What about uh, seeking uh, our inheritance? Caleb wanted his inheritance and he sought it. Judah wanted their inheritance and they sought it. Ephraim and Manasseh wanted their inheritance and they sought that. But the failing of these seven remaining tribes is that they did not seek their inheritance. They were neglectful. We must be careful not to be neglectful ourselves. But how does the believer seek their inheritance? Well, it's very simple. Having seen it in the word of God, you seek it in your heart. As we become alerted to what should be ours in Christ, we say, I want that peace that passes understanding. I want 
to have no unclean speech. I want to have that blessed hope or whatever that inheritance is that the Holy Spirit illuminates to us from the word of God. And if we are truly born again, we will want what the Lord has for us. We will want a godly life. We would want all the riches of the inheritance that can be found in Jesus Christ. So having seen the inheritance and having sought the inheritance, the importance is to go and seize that inheritance. Caleb wanted the mountains of Hebron. The only problem was it was occupied by the sons of Anak, giants. But that did not stop him. He seized his inheritance. It says in Joshua 15 verse 14, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. And if we want to possess our inheritance in Christ, we must seize it. We must drive out the present occupants because our inheritance is currently occupied by giants and Canaanites. Now, I say that and you're probably scratching your heads thinking, well, what do you mean our inheritance is occupied by giants and Canaanites? I wouldn't know a Canaanite if he came up to me and hit me over the head. And the tallest guy I know is six foot ten, let alone being a giant. What are you talking about? Well, our giants, our Canaanites, come in the, in the form of threefold enemy. Our enemies are the flesh, the world and the devil. And these three enemies, these three giants, these three Canaanites will stop us from coming into our inheritance and will stop us from coming into the fullness of Christ, of all that God has for us. Now, what is the devil? The devil is the forces of Satan. And the forces of Satan, the devil with all of his demons, are constantly seek to disrupt the purposes of God. They constantly seek to stop us from getting to our inheritance. But I've got good news. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Even though the devil is actively trying to stop us from getting our inheritance, if we submit ourselves to God, we have guarantee of a victory over the devil, over that giant, over that Canaanite. There is nothing stopping us from getting our inheritance where the devil is concerned. What about the world? What is the world? Well, the world is the system that the devil uses to drive and distract men away from all that could be theirs in Christ and to lead men into sin and away from God. There are many distractions, many attractions, many things in the world which will stop us from serving Jesus Christ and cause us to pursue things that are sinful and unclean. And of course, all the while we're pursuing those things, we will miss out on our inheritance in Christ. But I've got another good verse for you. That is 1 John 5 verse 4. 1 John 5 verse 4, which says, For everyone who has been of, sorry, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So these draws, these attractions from the world, they can be overcome if you have been born of God, if you are born again if you've put your faith in Jesus. So that's the second Canaanite, the giant that we encounter. But again, we can defeat that in Christ. And our third enemy, our third giant is the flesh. And what is the flesh? Well, if I'm honest, this is the toughest enemy. And this, the flesh, is ourselves. 
It is our old nature. It's who we were before we met Jesus. It is that part of us that is selfish. It is that part of us that wants what we want and not what God wants. It's that part of us that is sinful and rebellious and opposed to God. And we all know that there is that part inside of us that wants what we want and rejects what God wants. But I've got good news for you as well. Galatians 5 verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we belong to Christ Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if you were crucified, if you were on a cross, that's it. That meant that the game was over. There was no way of getting out of that. You're on a one-way trip towards death. And if we're in Christ, then we know that the flesh can die. Caleb had three giants to fight. They were Shishai, Ahiman and Talmai. And we have three giants to fight. The flesh, the world and the devil. And as Caleb had victory and occupied, we have a victory and we can occupy as well. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 19. At the end of chapter 18, we saw the land that was allotted to Benjamin given out. And we read about that in our last study. But here we go into chapter 19. And we're going to read about the allotment uh, for the tribe of Simeon. Reading from verse 1. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Moladah, Hazar, Shual, Bala, Ezem, Eltalad, Bethel, Hormah, Ziklag, Beth, Makaboth, Hazar, Susa, Beth, Labaoth, and Sherothen, thirteen cities and their villages, Ain, Rimon, Ether, and Ashan, four cities and their villages, and all the villages that were all around these cities as far as Balath, Beer, Ramah of the south. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families. The inheritance of the children of Simeon were in, was included in the portion of the children of Judah, for the portion of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the, within the inheritance of that people. So if you see there on the map um, towards the south, Simeon um, had his inheritance within the land of Judah. So Judah encompassed all the way around the territory given to Simeon because Judah had more territory than it could actually occupy. And it's very interesting because if we were to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and chapter 49, there Jacob um, pro uh, pronounces a series of blessings upon each of his 12 children and those children will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And when it came to um, the tribes of Simeon and Levi, he jointly blessed them. But in fact, it wasn't so much a blessing that he gave Simeon and Levi. It was more of a curse. He says in Genesis 49 verse 7, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So Jacob foretold that his, the tribes that would descend from Levi and Simeon would be scattered throughout the land. Now, we know that this is going to be the case with Levi because they don't actually have a territory, 
but they will have cities that are allotted to them at various places scattered in the country. And we'll read about those Levitical cities in chapter 21 of Joshua next time. But for Simeon, he was placed within Judah, but over time he would disperse and scatter throughout the country and he would lose his territory and he would lose his identity. And this is the beginning of that curse pronounced by Jacob all the way back in Genesis 49 coming to pass. It would lose its identity. And this is interesting because Simeon's inheritance was corruptible. It was physical, but it would perish. It was defiled. It could be spoilt and polluted by sin and idolatry. It would fade, i.e. his territory would not endure. It would be absorbed into Judah. And his territory, his inheritance was vulnerable. It could be lost or stolen uh, by Canaanites. Simeon's inheritance was corruptible, defiled, faded and vulnerable. Now let's read about our inheritance. Can you turn please to 1 Peter chapter 1 and can you read verses 3 and 4 with me? 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. There we read about our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. Our inheritance is the complete opposite of Simeon's inheritance. Simeon's inheritance was corruptible, but Peter declares ours is incorruptible. Simeon's inheritance was defiled, but Peter declares our inheritance is undefiled. Simeon's inheritance was, would fade, but we are told by Peter that our inheritance is unfading. We saw that Simeon's inheritance is vulnerable, but we see that ours is safe. It is reserved in heaven. Our inheritance in Christ does not perish. It's not subject to entropy or decay. It doesn't spoil. It remains pure, unpolluted. It is eternal and it endures and it is kept. It is put on hold. It cannot be lost or stolen or given away. We see that our inheritance is far superior to that of Simeon's. And that is something that we can rejoice in this morning. Let's go back to Joshua 19 and let's look at the inheritance that was given to Zebulun, reading from verses 10 to 16. The third lot came out for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Their border went towards the west and to Marilah, on to Dabasheth, and extended along the brook that is east of Jochneem. Then from Sarid it went eastward towards the sunrise along the border of Chisloth-Tabor, and went out towards Dabarath, bypassing Japhia. And from there it passed along on the east of Gath-Hepha towards Ethkazim, and extended to Rimon, which borders on Nir. Then the border went around it on the north side of Hanathon, and it ended in the valley of Jiphthah-El. Included were Kataf, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem, twelve cities with their villages. 
This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families, these cities with their villages. And I imagine going through all of the names of those cities, you only recognised one, and that was Bethlehem. And we've all heard of Bethlehem. If not, you haven't been paying attention this Christmas. So, interestingly enough, actually, there are two places with the name Bethlehem. There is one in uh, uh, in Zebulun, near the Galilee, and there is one uh, in Benjamin, near Jerusalem. So the Bethlehem that's in Zebulun is not the Bethlehem that Jesus was born in. The one that Jesus was born in was down south in Benjamin, near Jerusalem. And the Bible often calls it Bethlehem Judah or Bethlehem Ephrathah to help it to distinguish from the one in Zebulun. Now, interestingly, Zebulun is mentioned in a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy of the birth of the Messiah, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And in that prophecy, it indicates that the Messiah will herald from this location, that the Messiah will come from Zebulun. In fact, you can read about that coming true in Matthew 4, verse 13, where it points to this prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus. So Zebulun held the promise of future blessing, that sometime in the future of the tribe of Zebulun, the Messiah would come from its territory. And our inheritance has the promise of future blessing as well. Back in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4, we read that our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. So we have an inheritance that we're going to come into when we come into heaven. But our inheritance is not something that we simply wait for until we go to be with the Lord. We begin to enter into our inheritance the moment we are born again. The moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we obtain a pardon for our sin, we are entering into our inheritance. In fact, that very pardon for our sin is the start of our reception of our inheritance. We, part of our inheritance is forgiveness. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now sadly, some fail to fully enjoy this aspect of our inheritance. People fail to recognise that their sin is forgiven. And there are Christians who live with a perpetual sense of guilt and condemnation, instead of a perpetual sense of peace and joy at being forgiven. And this is something that the Lord does not want. And so the first giant, the first Canaanite we do battle with is guilt. That enemy of guilt stops us from coming into that place of being forgiven. But when we defeat that enemy of guilt, we possess a city named acceptance. That is our city that we come into, a city of acceptance. I'm reminded of that chorus that uh, uh, by Rob Hayward. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I am fathered by the true and living God. I'm accepted. No condemnation. I am fathered by the true and living God. There's no guilt or fear as I draw near to the saviour and creator of the world. There is joy and peace as I release my worship to you, O Lord. So 
There is a Canaanite, a giant that will stop us getting to this place called acceptance. And it's called guilt and condemnation. But we, we can conquer that in Jesus Christ. Let's look at the uh, allotment for the tribe of Issachar, reading from verse 17. The fourth lot came out to Issachar for the children of Issachar, according to their families. And their territory went to Jezreel and included Chesheloth, Shunem, Hathraim, Shion, Anahareth, Rabbith, Kishion, Abez, Remeth, Enganim, Enhadar, and Beth Pazaz. And the border reached to Bor, Shahazimah, and Beth Shemesh. Their border ended at the Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. So Issachar's allotment included Jezreel, and this is an important farming region. And um, back when Jacob was blessing his 12 sons and he came to bless Issachar, he said he would inherit an agricultural land. And that's exactly what this area was that Issachar inherited. It was a rich, fertile soil that could be used for agriculture. So we see that that uh, prophecy uh, given by Jacob came to pass. But as we read through this allotment in Issachar, it is slightly shorter in text than, than Zebulun and Judah because it doesn't clearly define all of its boundaries. Um, the boundaries are not clearly delineated, with the exception of the eastern portion of the northern boundary and the, uh, and the boundary line. So because the boundaries were ill-defined, there was an insecurity about Issachar. His inheritance was rather determined by the number of cities and not by where the borders were. So there was an insecurity about Issachar. And it's interesting, when we talk about our inheritance in Christ, one of, our, one of the aspects of our inheritance is that we can have security ourselves. It says in Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We, when we've given our lives to Jesus, are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance or a down payment of our inheritance until we receive it in full when we go to heaven. So all of the joys, all of the blessings, all the enriches that we feel as a result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is just a down payment of what will come into in heaven. And so it gives us a sense of security, a sense of security of our salvation, a security of our inheritance, that it will not be lost. But unfortunately, there are some Christians who fail to fully enjoy this aspect of inheritance. People doubt the integrity and durability of their salvation. They fear that some unspecified sin will cut the net of salvation in which they are cradled and they will fall from the security of God's love. Not knowing that our God states clearly, no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have a security in our salvation and our inheritance is secure. But we see that we have this second giant this second Canaanite that we need to do battle with, the, the, the giant of insecurity. But when we defeat that enemy, 
we possess a city named Assurance. There is a legitimate fruit of salvation called Assurance. And of course, that is celebrated in that famous hymn by Fanny Crosby. Uh, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my saviour all the day long. Let's go on and look at the allotment for the tribe of Asher. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families and their territory included Helkath, Hali, Beten, Achsaf, Alamalech, Ahmad and Mishal. It reached to Mount Carmel westward along the brook Shehor Libnath. It turned towards the sunrise to Beth Dagon and it reached to Zebulun and to the valley of Jiphtha-el. Then northward beyond Bethamech and Niel, bypassing Kabul, which was on the left, including Ebron, Rehob, Hamon, and Canaar, as far as the great Sidon. And the border turned to Ramah and to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the border turned to Hosar and ended at the sea by the region of Achzib. Also, Uma, Afek, and Rehob were included, 22 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families, these cities with their villages. Now, there's not a great deal to say about Asher. I know that um, when it came to taking Jesus to be circumcised in the temple, there was a prophetess there called Anna, who was from the tribe of Asher, and she spent all of her time in the temple and she prophesied that Jesus was the Messiah and that he would bring redemption. But when we look at Asher on the map, we can see that it is a coastal territory bordering the Mediterranean Sea, from Carmel in the south to the most northern border. And being sighted on the sea made it a very useful territory because, of course, there would be ports there. It would be useful for merchants and traders to come and go to sell their wares. And there was a great potential for work to be engaged in as a result of being on a coastal land. And when I think about our inheritance in Christ, one aspect of that inheritance is that we are to be useful. Outside of Christ, our life has no real purpose, value and meaning. But the moment we come into Christ, we find a purpose, we find a calling and we find a work, a usefulness that was never before seen. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared a work for us so that we can be useful. But, you know, there are some Christians that fail to fully enjoy that aspect of our inheritance. People doubt that they have anything to contribute to church or to the work of Christ. Maybe they're intimidated by others thinking, well, they've got all the gifts and I've got nothing to offer. Or perhaps they fear failure um, if they step out. So they don't step out and they don't perform any work for the Lord. And they fail to use the gifts that they have been given. And instead of being an asset to the body of Christ, they become a burden as a result. And so the next giant, the next Canaanite that we need to do battle with is inactivity. 
the temptation to sit on our laurels and let everybody else do the work instead of stepping up, moving out in the gifts and the calling that God has given us and to perform the good works that have been created for us in Christ Jesus. But when we defeat that enemy of inactivity, we possess another city and that city's name is fruitfulness. We can be fruitful in Jesus Christ if we do battle with those Canaanites that are trying to stop us from being effective in our service. Let's go on to the tribe of Naphtali, reading from verse 32. The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali according to their families. And their border began at Helef, enclosing the territory from the terebinth tree in Zanamim, Zanamnim, something like that, Adami, Nekeb and Jabneel as far as Lakum. It ended at the Jordan. From Halef, the border extended westward to Asnoth Tabor and went out from there towards Hukok. It adjoined Zebulun on the south side and Asher on the west side and ended at Judah by the Jordan towards the sunrise. And the fortified cities at Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rakath, Chinnereth, Adamah, Ramah, Hazor, Kadesh, Adrai, En, Hazor, Ion, Migdalel, Horem, Beth, Hanath, and Beth Shemesh, 19 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, according to their families, the cities and their villages. Now, the territory of Naphtali was west of the Galilee. You can see it there um, at the north of the map. And uh, much of Jesus' ministry was in the region of Naphtali. Um, Nazareth was in Naphtali, where Jesus grew up. And Capernaum was in Naphtali as well, where Jesus chose to live. It says in Matthew 4.13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Jesus committed to living in a specific area. He went to synagogue there. He went to, uh, he shared fellowship there. He would have worked there. He lived there in the area of Naphtali. And really, this is another important aspect of our inheritance in Christ. You see, God wants us to be in a place of unity, in a place where we can have fellowship, in a place where we can um, share uh, uh, worship with other believers, just as Jesus would have had fellowship and gone to synagogue there in Naphtali. It says in Ephesians 2, 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There should be no division between us as believers. There should be unity. That is part and parcel of our inheritance in Christ. But some Christians fail to fully enjoy this aspect of our inheritance. They fail to commit to a church and you see them hopping from one congregation to another. And whenever they meet conflict or something they don't agree with, they leave that church and go on to something else, failing to strive and come into that inheritance of unity. They perceive perhaps Christians as hypocrites, so then they go it alone and don't even attend a church, which is never what God intended. And they're always critical, pointing out the faults and shortcomings of their fellow brother and sister in Christ, but never following the principles of Matthew 18 when it comes to guidelines for seeking reconciliation. Because without reconciliation, there cannot be that unity that God has promised us in Christ. 
So this giant, this Canaanite that we need to do battle with that stops us from coming into that blessing of unity is the giant of discord. And we as Christians need to fight that spirit of discord that can come amongst us. But when we defeat that giant of discord, we then possess a city named fellowship. And that is part and parcel of our inheritance in Christ. If we serve and follow him faithfully, he will bless us with a fellowship and with a Christian unity that we don't know anywhere else in life. Let's move on to that last allotment of tribes to the land of Dan, reading in verse 40. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, and the territory of their inheritance was Zorah, Eshtaol, Ir Shemesh, Shalabim, Ajalon, Jethla, Elon, Timna, Ekron, Altakar, Gibbethon, Balath, Jehud, Benebarak, Gathrimon. Mejarkon and Rakon were the region near Joppa, or Joppa. And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these, because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families. These cities were their villages. So Dan is the last tribe to receive its allotment, neighbouring the um, Mediterranean there, just above Judah, to the uh, west of Ephraim, and uh, included the port of Joppa. But what we also read is that later on, they went north to take a place called Lashem, sometimes translated Laish. And you can see that nestled right up the top between Naphtali and Manasseh there. And this happened in Judges 18, which we'll get to eventually. But what they did was they struck the people of that area and established a second territory in, uh, up there in the north. Now, this is not the tribe of Dan acting in faith and pressing into the land. What is happening here is a people who are not satisfied with God's provision. And so what they do is they move out in their own strength to get what they want. They went outside the perimeters of what God had given them to try and get what they wanted. And what this illustrates in the tribe of Dan is a stubborn heart and it reveals an idolatrous heart. And this is something that we need to be careful of. We need to be satisfied with the inheritance that God has given us instead of trying to press in and take what we want. It's interesting if we were to jump to Judges 18 and to read from verses 28 to 31. Let's see what their first act after taking that second territory was. We read from verse 28 of Judges 18. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their ancestor Dan, who was born to Israel, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan, until the time of the captivity of the land. They continued to use the idol Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. Their stubbornness, their rebellion is borne out in the fact that they establish an idol there in the northern part of Dan and that their sin and idolatry increased and other tribes gathered 
to them to partake in their sin. This tribe truly wasn't operating in faith. They weren't regenerate. This is a tribe that operated in sin and rebellion, not faith and obedience. This was the opportunity of a new life for Israel, coming into the promised land, a time when they could leave the idolatry of Egypt and the rebellion of the wilderness behind. But we see that this idolatry and rebellion didn't leave Dan. There wasn't the signs of new life in the tribe of Dan. And you see, another portion of our inheritance in Christ is a new life. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Unfortunately, some Christians fail to enjoy this aspect of our inheritance. They continue to live in the manner and style of their old life instead of the new life. They live in the squalor of a mud hut when they have inherited a mansion. They think as they used to think, not knowing that there is the mind of Christ to possess. They speak as they used to speak, not knowing there is a new song for them to sing. And they act as they used to act, not knowing that there is a walk in the spirit to enjoy. And so the next giant, the next Canaanite that we do battle with is rebellion. And as we defeat that enemy called rebellion, we possess a city named peace. There is perfect peace found in the new life that is ours in Christ. But for the Christian who lives in rebellion, there is always going to be a torment and a dissatisfaction about their life. Well, we come to the end of the chapter and we read finally about Joshua's inheritance, reading from verse 49. When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath-Serah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritance is which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord as the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Caleb and Joshua were the two faithful spies and Caleb received his inheritance first when it came to the dividing of the land. But Joshua received his inheritance last, the true servant. And Joshua chose to live in the mountains. And it's interesting, the mountains of Ephraim is where his countrymen were afraid to go because there were giants there. But Joshua wasn't afraid to fight the giants. Like his friend and his spiritual equal and fellow spy Caleb, Joshua led by example and he fought the giants in his life and he gained a full inheritance. And that is the challenge for us. Will we take on the giants in our life? Will we grow in faith and victory? Will we come into the full inheritance that Christ has for us? I have a closing thought that I'd like to share with you. I think we're all familiar with Colossians 3 verse 16, where it says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. That word dwell means to reside, to remain, to become established. 
to be at home. The word of God needs to be at home with us to be established in our hearts. And remember, it's the word of God where we first see our inheritance. And the more that the word of God becomes established in us, the more we become aware of what our inheritance is and the more we will seek it. But it says there, let the word of God dwell in you richly. So that word richly means abundantly, not a little, but a lot. God wants the word of God to dwell, to be at home in us in an abundant fashion. The Bible is something that we should be fully invested in. We should be reading it a lot, not a little. And it needs to be at home to reside, to dwell in us. And as you read, you will encounter a verse that is not at home in you. You'll find a verse that is not comfortable to you, that doesn't want to reside in you, that doesn't want to dwell in you. Why? Because it exposes a part of your life that is not bringing glory to God. It is a part because it's starting to challenge an area of your life that is currently occupied by giants and Canaanites. And it's a part that your flesh still covers. And at that point, you've got a conflict to do. Am I going to fight like Joshua to try and take that part of my life that is currently occupied by giants and let it be won for victory for Christ? Or am I going to give up and say, no, I'm just going to jump over that passage of scripture. I'm going to avoid that inheritance. Remember earlier, I quoted Galatians 5 verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Bible, convicting us of sin, righteousness and judgment, we need to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. How do we do this? It's all well and fine me saying, fight the giants in your life, go and take the Canaanites. But how do we do this? Well, I see that there's three steps. First and foremost, you agree with the word of God. You submit to God. Second of all, when that sin has been exposed, you confess your sin. You repent of what you have been doing or thinking or saying. And then third of all, you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit to give you the strength to live righteously. That's how you crucify the flesh. That's how you overcome those giants. You agree with the word of God. You confess and repent of your sin then you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit to give you the strength to live righteously. And there you have victory. You have chosen life instead of death. You've chosen the way of God instead of the way of the flesh. But let me tell you and make it very clear. Crucifixion is a slow, painful death and sin does not die easily and it will fight back. When it rears its ugly head again, what do you do? You go back, you agree with the word of God, you confess your sin and you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit to give you the strength to live righteously. And when it rears its ugly head again, what do you do? You agree with the word of God, you confess your sin and you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit to help you to live righteously. And as you do that, that sin issue in your life, that Canaanite, that giant will get weaker and weaker. And it might take a long time but you will get to that place of victory and you will come to that place of fullness in Christ and you will come to that place of full inheritance. God has put us together as a body of people in this church 
We are here to pray for one another. We are here to support one another and we're to help one another to come into that inheritance. Does your desire for that inheritance in Christ outweigh your desire for sin? If so, then in time you will drive out that sin and come into your full inheritance. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once more this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would take my words and uh, use them to be able to speak into our lives. Help us to be those who are willing to take on the Canaanites and the giants. Help us to be those who see what the inheritance is and fight to come into that, Lord. Help us not to settle for second best. But help us to pursue the very best, the full riches that are ours in Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.